The nail in the coffin! It's the nail. Tom Valentino, joined by Travis Yuley. We are recording on Wednesday night, less than 24 hours before the start of the NBA Finals, Cavs Warriors Part 4. Trev, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing great, my man. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm feeling good. I'm excited yeah. about this. I know a lot of people yeah. are like, here we go again, but uh, I don't know, man. Give, give, give it to me again. Let's roll. <laughs> exactly. I'm a little bit with the here we go again, but at the same time, I've, I've kind of convinced myself I'm just going to try to enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Well, we are joined by our old pal, David Zavak, who is now covering the Cavs as a contributor for The Athletic. He posted a story today giving us three reasons why you should be excited for the NBA Finals. I recommend you check that out. David, welcome back to The Nail, man. Good to have you on. Yeah, it's it's been too long. How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, doing well. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, before we get into the Cavs and the Warriors, I have to ask you, do you have any stealth Twitter accounts that you've been trashing people across the NBA with that, uh, that you'd like to fess up to now? Uh, I cannot. <laughs> uh, that story gets crazier all the time. It sounds like it was it was the Sixers GM's wife that might have been doing some of this, which kind of makes it sad in some way, but... Um, I will say I, I have an uncle, David, who has the same name as me. And every once in a while, my uncle is on Twitter and he'll f like follow my friends or, you know, random people. And I'll get DMs saying, is this other David Zavak you or, you know, is this somebody <laughs> and, you know, um, pretending to be you? And no, just my uncle. He's mostly fine. So, uh, Most, mostly fine. Yeah, he's actually he's he's, he's, he's like fine. everybody's uncle. Mostly fine. No, he, he's fun. But yeah, so that I, I do get accused of that, but but I do not. No. Well, I was gonna say I I share the same name with my dad, and thankfully he is off Twitter. Um, I had to deal with uh, sharing the same name as him growing up, and way too many confusing phone conversations. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad those days are uh, long since past. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get into the finals. Um, you know, it, it's the Cavs and the Warriors again. It's the fourth year in a row, but uh, obviously a very different cast of characters on the Cleveland side. Uh, what do you make of the series? What are your general impressions just to kind of get us rolling here? Um, I had always said that the biggest problem that the Warriors had – um, and I think it really hurt them in the 2015-16 final, in the 2016 finals when the Cavs were able to come back and beat them. Um, even, you know, they, can a 73-win team have weaknesses? Um, was that Steph Curry was really their only one-on-one -on -one creator. And even Steph is sort of an, um, a different sort of creator because he sort of, he can get to the basket, but that's all it's it's not because of his sort of one-on-one -on -one athleticism but simply because he can shoot from anywhere at any given time um clay thompson can't really run the pick and roll uh draymond green is a nice facilitator but he's not going to create his own shots consistently 
they fixed all of that when they brought Kevin Durant in. And now they have two one-on-one scorers uh, in terms of Curry and Durant um, that just makes it really difficult um, to handle them. And on the flip side, the, the Cavs' greatest asset, in my opinion, was that they had Kyrie and LeBron, two guys who who you know could really create for themselves and others. Obviously, LeBron better at creating for others than Kyrie was. Um, so, if you look at the 2016 Finals, the 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 weaknesses and the the strengths have sort of flipped now, um, and the Cavs sort of hope that Kevin Love can give them some creation. They hope that George Hill can do it, but it's just not you know on a consistent enough basis. So, um, you know what I think worked for the Cavs in 2015 was really slowing the game down and hoping that LeBron could score enough. Um, they're going to have to do that again um, and try and defend it at a, at a really high level and make it a half-court game. But it's just so much harder when it's Steph Curry and Kevin Durant than just Steph Curry. So I think it's really difficult for the Cavs. Um, could they do what they did in 2015 again and steal a couple games and, and make it interesting? Uh, yeah, I think they could. Um, but the Warriors are, are, are just, they have everything that you'd want to have. Um, and I, I think it'll be really difficult. Am I crazy for thinking like, I know since, um, 2015, they've kind of been, been in this mindset of wanting to play really fast with a really, you know, a lot of pace and, and really quickly and run up and down the floor. Am I crazy for thinking the recipe they used in 2015 is really their only chance where they just slow the game down a lot? No, I, I think that is, I think that's all of it. Um, yeah, they cannot. I mean, if it starts getting up and down. Yeah, uh, running just doesn't feel like a game we have. I, I mean, our odds are stacked against us in general, but that just feels like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, in terms of, of what that would mean for LeBron, um, in terms of energy expended, um, I just don't see how it's how it's possible. Um, you know, you can selectively run and, and I think they'll probably have to. Um, but I think, um, one thing that the, the especially, you know, cause the Rockets were in kind of a similar boat that the Cavs are going to be in where when Chris Paul went down, you know, the Rockets only real ball handler was James Harden. And then they were kind of asking Eric Gordon to do that. And it just doesn't work very well. Um, so yeah, I think the Rockets in games six and seven, when things started to get away from them, um, they did start running with the Warriors. And, um, you know, the, the Rockets may, or the Warriors in, 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 in maybe the half court, you know, Draymond has trouble creating. But in transition, Draymond can run the floor and distribute and find Clay Thompson for trailing threes for, you know, Kevin Durant for trailer threes, Steph Curry for trailer threes. So yeah, you have to get them in half court. And then what happens when you can get the Warriors in the half court, uh, they really do kind of struggle at times because, you know, you can get Durant to a point where he's sort of settling for mid range jumpers. Um, Durant 
can get a little ISO heavy, which uh, it's pretty crazy because he's really good at that. But if if Kevin Durant trying to go one on one is 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 a good thing for you, that I think that speaks to how good they are. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think once the Warriors really get out and run. You're a expending a lot of energy, and b they just are impossible to guard in that setting. And one of the things that drove me nuts watching the West Finals against Houston was there was several occasions where the Rockets would have a player trying to save a ball from going out of bounds and throw a blind pass back into the floor or force up a terrible shot from you know when they're smothered by three guys at the end of the shot clock. Basically, they were creating these situations with live ball turnovers and it just let the Warriors get off to the races and get easy buckets in transition. And those are situations where it almost seems counterintuitive, but you kind of want to just take the dead ball turnover and live with it. Cause at least it gives you a chance to get your defense back and, and kind of slow it down and not give them freebies running. Yeah, that you're a hundred percent correct. And that was, that was infuriating at times. And it's, it's, it's like one of those things where you don't want guys to, to tone down their effort. And it's great. They're, you know, trying to save this ball, but um, it's really counterproductive. And I think in that vein where the Cavs can get in trouble um, and I would love to see the statistic. And I, I know it's kind of my job to go and do these things, but if, if you look, and actually the Celtics series is kind of a, an outlier because I think the Cavs won three different games that LeBron had six or more turnovers. But I think if you looked back over the last couple of years, what the Cavs record is in games that LeBron has six or more turnovers versus games where he has five or less turnovers, I think you'd have a huge discrepancy in the Cavs record because, um, you know, if LeBron gets a little sloppy or he's trying to do too much, those just become instant fast breaks for opposing teams. And um, the Cavs actually played pretty good transition defense against the Celtics and and kind of survived some of those LeBron turnovers. But in general, uh, you know, um, the Warriors are going to be a lot more skilled at, at taking advantage and just have higher quality three-point shooters as well. So, um, no, you're 100% right, and I think um, – LeBron is going to put up really big numbers in the series regardless, but if he can average five or less turnovers, given the amount the ball is going to be in his hands, that to me will be a sign of, of how great he's played. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Terry Rozier, unfortunately will not be around to have his uh, dunk attempts <laughs> on the fast break, get obliterated uh, in transition by LeBron uh, in this series. Trev sounded like you uh, wanted to jump in with something there. Go ahead. Yeah, but I'll say I'm not totally sure that uh, in the same situation, Steph Curry is stuffing those down either. So <laughs> we can take our chances there. But he's also not going 0 for 10 or whatever the hell Terry did. Yeah, um, from 35 feet. <laughs> something terrible. Um, okay, so watching the last series with Houston and Golden State, I felt like Golden State did a or, uh, Houston did a great job making Golden State sort of I don't, like you sort of mentioned it earlier Durant was playing a lot of ISO they were not playing at times they were not playing anywhere near um 
what we're used to seeing out of them where the ball doesn't stop and it just happens to always end up in a really good open shooter's hands. Did we see Houston do anything special to force that? And if so, do we think the Cavs can and can maybe steal something from that and, and mirror it a little bit? Um, it, we've already touched on it. The first is the first point is just forcing them into the half court in the first place. Um, and I, I think, um, that, that, that's, that's, that that's a really good question. Cause that's basically the entire, <laughs> if the Cavs can find a way to, to do what Houston did. I mean, if, if Houston shoots the ball from three point range better or, or has Chris Paul, I, I think they have a good shot at winning that series, but, um, no, I don't think it'll be particularly easy to do. Um, and I think frankly, um, sometimes it's warriors boredom as much as anything. Um, and one thing that I I've written about in the past is ball movement can be hard and it takes a lot of energy to keep up that kind of motion on offense and keep the ball popping like that. And um, I think you've seen Draymond Green, who didn't really play very good defense in the regular season, has sort of gotten back to playing all-world defense. But that takes a lot of energy, too. Um, so, you know, we've seen the Cavs get into this problem where um, – you know, it'll take them a long time to get into their sets because they'll walk the ball up. LeBron kind of pounds the ball a little bit. I think the Warriors kind of have gotten to the stage of their greatness where sometimes they get a little lazy too. And um, they're not as crisp running their sets. They get into them a little bit slower. Um, they don't set screens with the same sort of urgency that maybe they did two or three years ago. Um, and you know, I just think you introduce a, a, a player like Kevin Durant that's used to getting a lot of shots and um, isn't as sort of ingrained into their system as maybe some of the other guys are, um, and it's it's just sort of organic. So I think the Warriors do it to themselves maybe more than the Rockets did um, to them. Uh, but what I would say that the Rockets did was they really got back in transition and forced the Warriors to sort of get into their offense and run their sets. And sometimes that takes a lot of energy and, and players don't want to do it. All right. So, David, there are injuries on both sides here as we enter uh, into game one. Uh, Andre Iguodala has already been ruled out for Golden State, and Kevin Love still in the concussion protocol, not looking particularly likely for game one, and who knows beyond that. Um, we've seen Andre Iguodala in the past um, have success uh, slowing down LeBron, um, and I know there are those numbers that were kind of floating around online comparing what the uh, the series looked like last year with Iguodala on the floor versus off obviously the big difference is there's no Kyrie Irving to um, help uh, facilitate things in attack uh, this year um, how do they if from what we're used to seeing from the way Golden State lines up against the Cavs um, what's going to look different this year 
um, with Iguodala out? Um, I, I don't know. The, the, that's a good question. The Cavs are still going to try and force switches. Um, you know, uh, it kind of depends what the Cavs end up doing without Kevin Love. If they don't have him, you know, I, I'm guessing they'd start Tristan Thompson at center uh, with Jeff Green at power forward. Um, if I were the Warriors, I'd probably start Jordan Bell on LeBron because I think he's got the quickness. Um, the Cavs are just going to try and move whoever it is. You know, they're going to try and force Steph Curry to defend the ball as much as possible. Um, I know Jason Lloyd, um, you know, my boss or, uh, you know, contributor at the Athletic, um, has has written that the Cavs think their best option is to wear, wear Steph Curry out as much as possible and force him to defend and A, try and get him into foul trouble or B, just wear him down in general. Um, and so I think you're just going to see them target him as much as anything. Um, but I think that was sort of the plan in the first place. So um, I, I, I do think... You know, a lot of those numbers where the Cavs looked pretty good against, um, you know, lineups without Iguodala, um, pretty much all involved Kyrie Irving. Um, but, you know, George Hill can play well. He's He's been, he's played well in the past, um, but they'll, they'll really need it. So I don't know. Um, I, I think it, it makes the likelihood of stealing a game in Golden State um, a lot more possible than I would have guessed before, um, but certainly not enough to, to make the Cavs a, a favorite or anything like that. Vegas would agree with you on that. Uh, every time <laughs> I turn around, that line keeps going up for game one. Yeah, and what's his face? Uh, Demarius, is that his name? Is this this guy who's buying everybody jerseys? I feel like he's not worried in the slightest that that could cost him a lot of money, and I can't really say that I blame him. Yeah, I think it's up to like eight hundred thousand retweets. It was something insane. Someone was—I I heard today—it's I think the highest number of retweets for any NFL player ever. I had never really seen anything with like over a hundred and fifty thousand, but I don't really follow like the Kardashians or whoever, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know how high it, it, they really go. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it just goes to show you, NBA Twitter is the best Twitter, and. Uh, <laughs> It, uh, it takes getting involved in uh, the NBA Finals for an NFL player to really catch fire on there, I guess. But Yeah. Uh, um, all right, so the, the one other big uh, topic kind of looming over, over my mind here is the third quarter. Obviously, it's been uh, a problem uh, for the Cavs. It feels like going back to the Mike Brown days um, to varying degrees. Uh, not so much, uh, I would say, in the uh, later part of the Boston series, but uh, definitely at different times of the playoffs, it's it's been an issue. Meanwhile, the Warriors uh, are the best third-quarter team, and that is their best quarter uh, statistically um, throughout these playoffs. They're a plus 130 in third quarters in the postseason. Um, do we, David, do we need to just uh, put on a blindfold and start praying when <laughs> – the third quarter rolls around in these games. You know, I, I've seen different theories on that. Is it that the Cavs don't make adjustments and other teams do? 
Um, do the Cavs come out flat-footed? Um, I don't know how to explain it. It does really seem like um, Steph Curry gets down to business in the third quarter and really locks in. And that kind of informed what I was saying earlier in terms of uh, you know, the Warriors sort of getting bogged down in, in isolation and not moving the ball like, like Travis was sort of asking. It does seem like in the third quarter when push comes to shove, they sort of remember how to do all of those good things. Um, and so, you know, it seems like something that the Cavs should be able to fix more than um, – and I guess, you know, you just hope that the Warriors miss some shots um, and you dodge the bullets. Um, it's at least worth remembering that, you know, in, in Game 7 of uh, the 2016 NBA Finals, the Cavs were down by, I think, eight or six or eight points at halftime. And then, you know, J.R. Smith – kind of, you know, hit some shots and, and get, started to get the Cavs back into things. Um, I think that's really what it, it comes down to. Um, you know, it, is J.R. Smith going to be a high-level role player? Is I know I know Corver doesn't really start, but, you know, are they going to be able to get Kyle Corver threes in the third quarter? Is, is Kevin Love, when he's back, you know, is he going to come in and make shots? Because... All too often, they just they come out of halftime and uh, there's a lot of pounding the ball and maybe LeBron will set one guy up, just can't hit the shot. So at the end of the day, some of these role players are going to have to show up and they haven't done that consistently in the playoffs, but um, but the Cavs don't really have a choice at this level of basketball, so we'll see what happens. I kind of wonder if the mindset changes. I mean, obviously you're playing for a championship at this point and you're only one of two teams left in the league that's still playing games. Um, but, you know, as the Cavs go through the East, I mean, they've got the bullseye on their back and they're getting every team's best shot and the weight of the world is on their shoulders. It's like, you know, are they going to flame out early and, you know, give LeBron all the, you know, fuel that he needs to, you know, head for greener pastures next year and, who knows, maybe that still happens, uh, regardless of how the finals play out here. But uh, even this series here, compared to what they were dealing with in the earlier rounds, I just felt like there was so much weight off of their shoulders by getting through Boston and defending the East and, and winning the conference for the fourth straight time. And, you know, you, you go into this final series, and obviously they're a huge underdog. I think they're one of the biggest underdogs in finals history. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting position. And I don't, I don't think, you know, they've never been favored against the Warriors, but it's never been uh, to this degree that uh, they're not expected to be particularly competitive. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious to see how they come out and maybe they look loose and uh, have some fun with this and, and get after it and surprise some people. Or maybe that's just what yeah, no, thinking I... on my part. Well, I mean, it might be, but that doesn't make it wrong either. Like, you know, I think it's one of those where you, you know, you look at Rodney Hood and maybe you give him another shot because why not? I mean, you have, you know, you, you need that length. You look at the way that he shot, you know, the way he shot the three point ball his whole career. And you'd say, look, you know, this guy 
he, maybe he can't help. Maybe he's going to play like he's done, you know, throughout the playoffs and since he came back. But we don't, you know, we don't really have a whole lot to lose here. Let's give him 18 minutes a game and, you know, tell him this is the NBA finals. Go make yourself some money. Um, you know, so I, I think it is, you know, possible. You, you look at Kyle Korver and say, look, and play that well last year in the finals. Go out there and have fun. Like let's let's rewrite that narrative. Um, you know, you can go up and down the list. Look, Kevin Love, this is your this is your shot to really prove that you're an all star and that you deserve to be talked about as a top twenty five NBA player. Um, you're, I think you're one hundred percent right. They have nothing to lose. Um, George Hill, for most of last season, played like a top ten point guard. Um, they have guys that have played at a high level before. I don't think it's, you know, again, do I think that they're going to win two games in a series? Probably not, but they should go out there and play like they're really good at basketball because they're in the NBA finals. You know, I mean, not like you said, not very many teams get to this level. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it might be a bit of a loser's mentality at this point. Um, but truthfully, who can blame you for that? Um, I think, like, I'm going into every game, I think, and I say this now, shit, if they win a couple games, all of a sudden I'll be running out in the streets telling everyone Cavs in seven. But um, it feels like you can finally just go on and, and try to enjoy the game. Hope you see some good stuff. Maybe don't. You're not going to be nearly as amped up, at least me personally. I'm not going to be nearly as amped up or or, or on edge or worried about every game as I maybe would be otherwise. Cause hell you just kind of be like, all right, let's hope they shock somebody. If not, it's kind of what I expect anyways. So. Oh, it's a, uh, it's been a fun era. And I know a lot of people uh, outside I think of that's where it, I think that's sort of, I think that's sort of the point is it, this is, it's still pretty cool. We got to the finals, even if the other team that we're going against is a juggernaut, whatever, let's enjoy ourselves. Maybe steal a game or two. Sounds good to me. Trev, you got any other questions for David, or should we uh, close up shop here? I think that about covers it. All right, David, uh, you're going to be uh, writing throughout the finals as well, I assume? Yes, sir. You uh, you doing the report cards again? Yep, we'll be doing those uh, after each game. I usually get them up about 30 minutes afterwards, and um, Athletic has a pretty cool mobile site, and um, you're doing and then um, you know, trying to break down things that I see uh, for as long as it goes. Sounds good, man. Uh, Trev and I are both athletic subscribers. Love uh, reading everything uh, that you put out there as uh, well as uh, Jason Lloyd. Always good stuff. And uh, the final thoughts from Jason are always must read the mornings after uh, in addition to everything you're writing as well. So really appreciate you taking the time and joining us here tonight. This has been fun. Hey, I really appreciate it. And, and go Cavs. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Dave. All right. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Uh, we are streaming on waitingfornextyear.com. And uh, go give a, give a like to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. Uh, once again, our thanks to David Zavak of The Athletic. For Travis Uli, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. 
Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.